Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 78. I am Brooke. This is Ben. And welcome. here we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't get bored of that uh, intro at all. Oh, see, I, I tried to change it up a little bit then. but Every single time man, it's just... Yeah. I cringe every time I say it. Yeah. Like, people must be so sick of hearing no, this. No, they love thing. it. This is, uh, this is the consistency that people are demanding from us. <laughs> People are demanding heaps from us. I do remember though, because that's genuinely how I say hello. Like, hello. 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 If someone comes you to do. the house and like, so I walked into it's our semi shocked hello. Like, hello. Like, no, that's not what hello. I mean by it. Like, but what are you doing here? It's like, I'm just, it's pleasant. Like, I'm quite yeah. happy to be talking to you. But the first time we had, um, Sabella and I ran a workshop mm. <laughs> and people started arriving yeah. and I'd go, hello. And everyone laughed at me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I listened to that every week. Yeah. And that's actually exactly how you sound. How you do it, yeah. I, just, I had never once considered how I actually say hello until I started this podcast. It's just life-changing. At least it's happy and, totally. you know, nice. It is nice. Do you know what else is nice? Good segue. Mm. You're getting better at that every time. I am. You don't need me here anymore. I don't. No. You're fired. Yes. <laughs> uh, the How other was the chat with Erin. Erin. My guest today is so nice. Such mm-hmm. just a delightful, lovely, kind, warm human. And I had such a pleasure talking to her. And I know I say it in lots of my episodes. And this one is no exception. I really could have spoken to her for hours because she's just very warm and gracious and honest and... Um, unexpected, I guess. Okay. You know, it's always interesting to me when I speak to someone and their answers are not what I expect. Yeah. Because I don't know the answers to a lot of the questions that I ask people, which can be dangerous. But with her, I, I didn't have, I hadn't made assumptions, but her answers just weren't what I expected in some situations, which was really nice. Yeah, that She's is nice. just very authentic and she was, I felt like she was completely there. I will admit this is uh, the second <laughs> The second episode where I might have not turned on my microphone. So if the uh, audio isn't what you're used to, again, that is my fault. That is not Ben's fault. I haven't edited this one yet, so I don't know. No. And I think it was the, the, the previous one was okay. Like it was listenable. It's just not the quality that we're normally used to putting out. So I apologize. But Erin and I um, had just a, a wonderful conversation about what slow living is to her. She, uh, I guess, started her career, her online career anyway, writing a blog called Design for Mankind, which I have been reading since I owned my jewellery label way back in the day. Wow. So she, it was really nice actually to, to realise that I had something in common with this person who I looked up to you know, years and years ago. And she has sort of had a, a big shift in her priorities and her work. Um, and when we speak about that, but she is now someone who writes about, I don't think she, she, you know, writes about hashtag slow living, but rather being present and, you know, being mindful and intentional and, and living in accordance with what's important, mm. which to me really is what slow living is. It's not about beautiful flat lays and neutrals and, you know, Anyway, you guys have heard me rant on that before, so yeah. I won't revisit that. But 
she's like everything she does is very beautiful, but it's not like it's there are roots there, there is mm. depth, and I really enjoyed it. We had <laughs> there was this one one part of the conversation which I have not stopped thinking about since, and um, we talk about what it looks like in a day to day kind of situation to be living a, a slower life, and she said, "It's she said <laughs> she said I." I care less and I care more. And I haven't heard anyone speak about it like that before and it's just really stuck with me. So I'd love to hear what you guys think about this conversation with Erin. She has just written a book which is available for pre-order on Amazon. I will include a link to that in the show notes which is at slowyourhome.com slash 78. But her book is called Chasing Slow, Courage to Journey Off the Beaten Path. And um, I'm really looking forward to to reading it. But you can grab that or pre-order that anyway on Amazon. Do you reckon she's read it? She, do you reckon she's written it all? Yeah. Like, is well, it, as is in, it? is it completed? Yeah. Yeah. Why is it taking half a year for it to come I don't out? Know. I don't know how publishing works. No, neither do I. I'm sure there's like back and forwards and you know little edits and things that that need to happen. Plus, I imagine having seen some of her work, it would be a very beautiful book. With lots of photographs and, you know, design elements in it. Right. So that would probably take quite a long time to pull together. I don't know. But mm. I think it will also... Because it's, it's not being released until the beginning of 2017. Yeah. That would be a beautiful book to begin the year with as well, I think. All right. Okay. I don't know. Again, I don't know anything about publishing, but... It's only 1885. Yes, it is. And uh, it's yeah, it's also it will be available on Kindle as well, I think. So anyway, you can um, check that out, and also Erin's website, which is designformankind.com. And I think I'd just love you to enjoy this conversation. Good. How are you, Brooke? I am very well. Very happy to be talking with you. Yes, yes. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I was just saying to you before we uh, started recording, you've been on my list of perfect guests for a long time, so it's a real pleasure to be uh, to be chatting with you. Oh, oh, oh I'm honored. I'm honored. <laughs> I think um, we've got a lot that I'd love to talk about, so uh, I might just kind of jump right in. Um, you are... Someone who's passionate about slow living, and obviously that's something that I'm insanely passionate about as well. But can you tell me what do, when when you talk about slow living, what does that mean to you? Oh, great question! Um, yeah, you're just going in for it. I love it. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I um, I think uh, we kind of define what what, um, our life should look like kind of based on what we don't want it to look like sometimes. Mm. And so, um, I know for me, I, uh, used to live in Los Angeles. I lived a very fast life there. What fast would be for my standards? Just, um, just in terms of the pursuit of the American dream, you know, I worked all the time, um, but the bigger house, the better car. Um, I was definitely, um, kind of pursuing something that, um, 
didn't necessarily feel true in my soul, but felt like what I was supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and and um, the the shift for me was, um, and, my, and my husband actually was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and that kind of it, it's funny that should have been the shift, but it was it was really slow progression to realizing that okay, like this life um, is fleeting, and these standards that we're trying to live up to are they really all that important, and are they really um, what we really should be chasing? So. Um, we actually, we drastically changed our lives um, for different reasons. But one of the things, we landed here in the Midwest. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, so I love it. But we did um, kind of really, really slow down our, our life logistically in terms of, you know, we weren't sitting on the 405 going um, <laughs> to really long 18-hour day jobs anymore. And um, we were back to the slow shifting four seasons of the of nature and um, bought a fixer upper and renovated it slowly and um, did things ourselves learned how to do a ton um, I started cooking again I started gardening I mean I feel like slow living is really less about um, what we're doing and kind of where more where our mindset is mm-hmm. so certainly after I had my my child I learned a lot more about that and um, she's four now but it's it's a lot about just taking time to answer questions, taking time to answer your own questions and uh, figure out what it is that you want and kind of forming your life a little bit from there. Um, at the same time, I think too, it's um, almost letting go of the pace entirely. I think I've lived through slow seasons and fast seasons, even here in this slow living process. Um, I've had fast, slower living and, and it's it's a temptation of mine to kind of measure my progress and say, oh man, I've had takeout three times this week because we've been so busy. And and who am I to call myself a slow living fanatic when I just ate out of styrofoam, you know, and it feels, it feels so hypocritical. So I think too, for me, my, my temptation and, and I guess my challenge is overcoming that urge to measure your life by any standard and yeah. just kind of accepting what is um, and being mindful of that. I really love that that <laughs> that idea of letting go of any kind of pace, you know, because there absolutely are seasons. Even people who have adopted a slow way of life, there's, there's busyness, you know. There are times that things are just busy and to be able to intentionally let go of the fact that that that's not a failure that's not a you know a a sign that things are going poorly it's just life it's just a season um I I, yeah I think that's really wise and and lovely as well because it's just I think sometimes we can replace the the shoulds of a fast-paced hectic life like the one you were leading when you were living in LA with the shoulds of a different kind of life as well and, and you know unless we're careful we can replace one set of expectations with another and I think that to me is really a big key in in living a slower life is just understanding and accepting that it is what it is as well you know you do what you can and you make the changes and you 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 shift and you clarify and you live according to your values and all those things but despite that it will sometimes still just get hectic and fast and it's yeah I think it's a an understanding of of that as well is a, is a massive part Definitely. of 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. And thank you. Yeah. And it is what it is. It's, it's like my favorite motto because it, I mean, it's, it, I feel like we, we have this urge to kind of manipulate every part of our lives and, um, and we certainly have the freedom and the independence to do that. And I feel like some of us even have the means to do it and we can, we can try to, um, shift to every aspect to live the ideal, balanced, perfect life. Um, but, but still, I mean, somebody gets sick and your dog dies and like things happen and Mm -hmm. it's not, it's, and, and you, you do kind of have to loosen the reins and let go a little and decide, well, you know, I can either be defined by the pace of my life or, um, or I can, you know, define, what I want from this instead and and be, and not let those circumstances define who I am and, and how I react as well. That's it. And I mean, I, I speak to a lot of people who have adopted slow living, uh, and they still lead really busy, hectic lives. I mean, Carl Honore is one of the leading thinkers on slow living and he freely admits that he's a, you know, a speed freak. He loves fast paced city living and he plays ice hockey and he rollerblades and he loves a deadline and he loves a rush. But so it's not so much about slowing down and living at some kind of bucolic country life kind of speed or pace, but rather Mm. how you approach it and, and, you know, focusing on the things that are important and and the other stuff, just letting it be what it is, I think is, uh, It's the perspective, isn't it? Exactly. And it's challenging. I feel like, you know, the practical stuff can be, it's, you know, neither here nor there sometimes, but you, you adopt the practical side of things. You might, you declutter or you start baking bread or you do yoga every day and you meditate. They're things that we can control. It's the, it's the other stuff that I've always found really challenging to stop questioning, am I doing slow right? <laughs> and just actually, you know, living. Yeah. Yeah, it's so dangerous. Um, because yeah, I feel like, uh, and I'm obsessed with yoga, and I love clean eating, and I love cooking and gardening and all of those things. But, but I think overcoming that, um, and I and I think too, because of, because of my job, I feel like I'm preaching slow living sometimes. And then I feel like, but but then there are the weeks when I'm when I'm super stressed out and I yell at my kid and it's like mm-hmm. it, it's not this isn't what slow living is supposed to look like. So I love that you kind of just started out with okay, well, what's your definition? Because I guess I just don't really have one. I know that I've lived a, a faster life where, and I think really the only difference between the mechanic, I mean, mechanics aside, the logistics were definitely fast versus slow in Los Angeles versus where I am now, but. But I think, too, it, it was just a mindset. I could have been living slow in Los Angeles if I just realized what was important and what wasn't. Um, and if I just kind of uh, framed, you know, changed my perspective a little. So I think um, that's definitely the challenge there is taking that with you wherever you are in whatever season you're in. Yeah, and I think you just nailed what my definition of slow living is in that, that sentence. You said if I had have known what was important and lived according to that, you know, I think to me that's what it is because people have all these different assumptions of what slow living looks like. It might be, it might be, you know, upping sticks and moving to the country, or it might be living in a tiny apartment in the city, or it might be eating all, you know, homegrown vegetables and making our own clothes and all. It can be any or all of those things. But I think really it's about figuring out what's important and then living according to that. Because we can't, Definitely. you know, we can't be in control of, of every 
little facet of our lives. And to try that is what I used to do. And it's why I ended up having a breakdown. You know, I tried to have everything perfect. And when I, when I actually just stopped worrying about the things that weren't important and started focusing on the things that were, that's when I feel like I, I made the shift, even though, as you say, like the mechanics of it, they continue to change and I continue to get better at things and change, change different elements of life. But it's that living of like a values-based life, I think for me is yeah. really the, the crux of it. And you can do that anywhere. That's the beauty. You know, exactly. you can do that anywhere. Yeah. I love that. I feel like I've, I've been the same where I've, um, totally had breakdowns over <laughs> such, <laughs> such minute things. I and mean, it's, it's funny, the things that we have breakdowns over, but, um, yeah, I love that. I love that you said, um, finding out what is important and living accordingly. I think that's exactly it. Um, and it's, it's maybe, maybe the reason slow is such a, an integral part of that is because it takes so much time to evaluate that. And it takes so much time to uh, pause and think about it. So it's not necessarily uh, slow living on a day-to-day basis. I don't know, but it, but it is kind of at the end of the day, keeping in mind that perspective, like, am I still on the right track? Yes, there are setbacks. Um, but I feel like even when you do have a setback, even when I have, um, it's in knowing that it was a setback that that, that tells me that I'm on the right track. You know, that tells me, okay, yes. I have noticed, I have noticed that something is awry here and, um, and okay, that's a good, that's a good sign that, that means there's some sort of mindfulness here and that my finger is still on the pulse of what I'm trying to get up. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Actually, I think that that awareness is one of the biggest kind of pieces to living this sort of life, you know, to be able to stop and pay attention and say, okay, this wasn't, a, this wasn't great. Like there, there's something out of whack here. Uh, because I think <laughs> that, that is being mindful. I think mindlessness is just letting that happen, letting life happen and not thinking about it and just going through the motions because they're the motions we've always gone through, you know? So while it, it can be vastly uncomfortable, I think, to, to get to that point of self-awareness, uh, and I found it uncomfortable, particularly in the beginning. Um, it's really important, I found. It is. And it, yeah, it's that ambiguity. And, and then that, I mean, sometimes the hardest part is discovering what it is that you want and mm. then, and then falling short of that over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, really hard to do. So I, I totally get why we tend to kind of numb ourselves in other areas to, to make up for that deficit. Mm. I've just started a meditation experiment where I'm, I'm meditating for about 10 minutes uh, every morning. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. 10 minutes is so long. <laughs> you know what? It is. <laughs> I do like five and I'm, and I'm, I'm like a squirrel. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I, I was talking about it on a previous episode where I, I felt like the first week or so, was going really well and I was just nailing this this living in the present moment thing and then I started to get worse at it you know I started to be more aware of the thoughts that are coming into my brain and taking my attention elsewhere and I mentioned that on a previous episode and I had quite a few people who have meditated for a long time email me and say you know apparently that's actually a sign that you're becoming more mindful you know your brain is becoming aware of of where it's been taken and, and why so it feels like you're going backwards but you're actually progressing which I found really uh, I, I found that like a really nice thing to apply elsewhere as well 
Definitely. And that's fascinating because I, oh my gosh, thank you. So I, this is a, this is at a pivotal moment for me. I did, um, yeah, I do little uh, five minute meditations at my yoga studio. And I mean, not mine, but the one I go to. And um, yes, I absolutely um, tried the five minute one. And I'm like, oh, I nailed this. I'm awesome. I'm going to keep doing it. And then it was probably about the second or third week. My mind was just a wreck. Mm. And I, and I, all I was thinking about, what did I do to cause this? Did I drink too much coffee this morning? Did, you know, it, it, is my mind elsewhere? And I, and I couldn't stop trying to come up with the why and trying to find a reason for it, which is just like rule number one, you're not supposed to do. So I thought, um, yeah, I thought, man, I'm just not cut out for this. And I totally quit. So now I'm, now I'm back to like my... <laughs> Five minutes. But now I'm going to say, okay, no, Brooke said that I'm getting better. This is a good thing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, but I do think that that kind of makes sense. They they really are. Our mind's like a, you know, they, they're wonderful, but they also sabotage ourselves. <laughs> but it does make sense. It really does. That, that, and the, the noticing is the hard part. Yeah, it is. You know, and it's in the, in the noticing and the paying attention, I think, that things can be incredibly beautiful and and freeing but it's also um where we can beat ourselves up the most so I, I found this experiment fascinating you know and I we're, we're doing one slow living experiment every month and some of them have stuck and some of them haven't but I know that this one is going to be something that sticks because I'm just finding it so challenging but so rewarding it's it's amazing so I hope you get back to it let me know how you go <laughs> Yes, yes. I well, I remember the first week. I, I felt like I really did. I had never known what a clear head meant until I had I had done like a five minute, ten minute meditation, and it does. It really does clear your head. I can't even explain what that means, um, but it 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 did. Uh, just sitting in the stillness, and I even do yoga on top of that, and that seemed like the pinnacle of stillness, but. Meditation kind of goes a step further. I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. So now, so now I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, "All right, I've, I'm going to try this. I don't have this, but I'm going to try it again." Oh, that's, yeah. You'll keep me uh, keep me updated. <laughs> I will. I will. So, um, I mean, slow living is it's not something that's easy to define, and I would totally agree with that. But has it as you as you made the shift from fast to slow? and made the move as well uh, physically i guess did it impact the way uh, the way your home for example did it impact the way that you worked to to learn to slow down and what did that look like for you guys oh yes um we actually well so we um moved in 2008 2009 so we've been here for a, for a bit and um, it's funny, we probably, when we first moved, lived faster than ever. I mean, it was takeout every night and uh, we busied ourselves to kind of preoccupy our minds. And um, yeah, and then that was a, that was a busier, faster season. But um, I think in terms of what, certainly watching my husband teach himself how to renovate a house was just incredibly inspiring to me. Um, and we we wrote about it often. Um, we had a, a 24 episode two year show on HGTV.com where we kind of showed what a real renovation looked like, mm-hmm. uh, not like the 24 hour quick glossy version. Um, and 
It was so funny because um, even in documenting a real renovation, when it when a deadline would come and we wouldn't be there yet because it was a real renovation, um, you know, we would we would be talking with editors and it would be like we have to have the floors in in three and a half weeks, but the but the joists aren't ready and. The, the stress involved with that, um, with documenting a real slow renovation was so funny. I felt like we were going so fast to be slow. Um, <laughs> so it was such a dichotomy, but, um, yeah, it, but, but now that we're in and we're settled and, um, started a family, I think, yeah, I think our, our home feels different. Um, uh, we certainly, you know, we're, we're, we'll sometimes switch, uh, parenting hats and go on business trips. And we're, we're often still, um, like I said, our kid is four. So she, it's very like the two ships passing of the night stage mm -hmm. and we're currently adopting. So it's like, there are just so many, um, family things right now, um, yeah. that are kind of hovering. And, um, but as we're in and out, we, we just love, we love going away, but we love coming home. So there's something that we've done right here. There's something that feels different. We'll have guests come and they're like, your home is so peaceful. And it's not that we're playing Sade. It's that we just, um, I think we care. I, I think we care less. I really, I think we care more and I think we care less. I think it's just the shift in what matters and what doesn't. And, um, you know, if, if, we have guests over and, um, I'm trying to, well, here's the funny thing about that. Actually, we, I, I can't carry on a conversation and do something else at the same time. I'm not a multitasker. So when guests, um, come over and you, just to visit or whatever, I'm always ordering pizza and they're like, aren't you like the person that doesn't believe in, in this? And I'm like, but if I have to choose, which we all do, you know, um, I would rather have the conversation over food. I, yes. would, I would rather have a more quality conversation than a more quality meal. So man, we've got like our, our pizza place on speed dial over here. It's this cute little local joint. They make great pizza, but I, um, it took a long time for me to overcome that guilt. It took a long time for me to, to think that I had to be this, um, perfect slow living hostess who was serving, I don't know, like eggplant Parmesan or something. And, and instead I was ordering pizza cause I wanted to be able to have a conversation and not be checking on dinner all the time. So I think it's little things like that, that I noticed that it's like, well, we've made a choice here and our choice is, is, is people, um, for sure. Um, we don't. You know, if you, if you come into my house, it is not um, a museum. It is not a minimalist's house. It um, my toddler is very much like my husband in terms of sentimental value mm -hmm. over everything. So, you know, <laughs> she'll bring in eight hundred rocks and name them if we let her. So it's it's a constant challenge, isn't it? To like, um, I am a minimalist. I very much um, I'm not a sentimental person. I don't hold on to a lot of belongings, but. But the people in my house do, and so yes. I think it's important to it's slow living. To me, is is accepting that and realizing that um, our house does not look like what I think it should, or maybe what it would if I lived by myself. You know, in a in a four hundred square foot tiny home, which I totally would do. But um, but no, there are like. I mean, she brought home Barbie stickers the other day, and I'm like, "What's this? This is weird." So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a normal, happy house, but peaceful um, because 
because of what, you know, where we're prioritizing our things, I think. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. Like I wanted to just jump in every sentence and say, oh, I'm the same. I feel exactly the same. Um, I love what you said about you care more and you care less. And that pretty much just nails it for me because there are things that you care more about like sitting down and having a really good conversation with people who you love and want to spend time with and you care less about the state of your flaws because it doesn't matter. And I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. Years ago before I I was diagnosed with postnatal depression after our second child was born and at that stage in my life I didn't want to let anyone in, physically didn't want to let anyone into our house unless everything was you know, perfect and on lockdown because it would reflect poorly on me. Of course, no one cared and no one cares, you know, good people who matter, just they don't care. They don't notice it and they don't care. So I love that idea of caring more and caring less. And I had a conversation with a friend yesterday about, um, you know, taking ourselves too seriously, which I've been (laughs) guilty of doing. And she said, but, you know, you've, you've changed. I said, yeah, I think because I just... For those things, I care less. I just care less. And there's such a liberation in in caring less about those things. So I love that. Absolutely. And they're not coming over to see your toilets, you know? No. Like it's, and it's so funny because I, I think of the, the places I love to be in the most. And I love going to a girlfriend's house and seeing like that they're – you know, still breakfast is still in the sink from that morning. I love that because I'm like, ah, normalcy. Exactly. I'm in the same boat. That's exactly. that's life, right? That's normal. Yeah, I'm exactly um, the same. But I think there's um, there's freedom and there's a connection in that too. But when we let people see us as us, I, don't, I mean, I'm not saying we need to let all of our baggage air out and you know, kind of overwhelm people with <laughs> with you know, extreme. Okay. Yeah, extreme honesty, particularly if we haven't processed it. But you know, I think like I, I think that there is connection to be had when we're we allow ourselves to just be who we are and where we're at. Definitely, yes, um, yeah. I think of I remember when I um, first had a baby, and I, I was a total wreck. Postpartum was so hard for me, um, and I've also struggled with depression in the past. So it was this it was this idea that there was this like thing sleeping in my house that I couldn't control. And I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, when people would come, you know how people just, they're always bringing lasagna and really kind (laughs) dinners and things after you have a baby. And I remember not being able to answer the door because I was so embarrassed that I didn't have the answers yet. I didn't have it together. Like I, you know, it, it was that influx and that ambiguity. And I wanted, I wanted to be able to answer the door and say, Hey, like, here's the baby. We love her. But I was like, no, I don't love her yet. She's terrible. Mm -hmm. This is the worst. And so I didn't even like answer the door. And I remember that being such a, you know, I would send out my husband, I would be like in the back nursing and I would send out my husband and have him answer the door and entertain all the people bringing dinner. And eventually I would come out and cry or something. But I just remember feeling like, uh, man, what if I would have answered the door and allowed people to help and allowed them to share their wisdom and share how they were and when they were in that state, because everybody's in that state, you know, babies are hard, they're mean. And, And so, you know, I wonder like, you know, what if I had let my pride go and and allowed myself to learn something from all of these women bringing dinner that have done this baby thing before, but I was too proud. I was too like 
scared of not having it together and, and not feeling like I knew what I was doing, which was the truth. I had no idea what I was doing, but I feel like that's, that's what we do, right? Like it's, we, we miss those opportunities to learn because we're trying to look like we have already figured it out. Oh man, exactly. Like I think if we just let our egos go in those situations, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do, we would stand to learn and gain so much, you know, from connection and understanding and, and realizing the first time I, I kind of got together with a group of mums was quite a long time after I'd become a mum and I remember just this revelation that I wasn't alone and there was nothing wrong with my experience because everyone felt the same, you know, and it's it's not in my nature necessarily to go and kind of seek out that and when I did, that connection was incredible because I just, I realised that there was nothing wrong with me, everyone was struggling, everyone was battling with the same things and feeling the same huge range of you know emotions so I yeah I'm, I was exactly the same to the point where I used to kind of hide in the bedroom <laughs> we had visitors and you know really physically shut myself away oh yeah definitely it was a yeah it's a rough thing it, it is yeah it, it is um and something else that you that you mentioned uh that I really resonated with was the the idea that you're a minimalist by nature uh, and you live in a house with people who aren't. And I think that's something that people struggle with a great deal when they're trying to slow down and, and simplify because so often it goes hand in hand that people are struggling against this tide of stuff that, that isn't theirs and that they don't have any connection to. But the people that they live with, they want to keep it They you know, because it's important to them. Um, and I really – I just – I, I really admired, I guess, your acceptance of the fact that you are not the same as your husband and your daughter in that regard, but it's their home. And, and you know, I think that brings a peace too, because I'm, I'm exactly the same. I'm not at all sentimental, but my daughter is. And I think it's really important to understand that it's their home and it's, I guess, a space that everyone needs to feel safe and comforted in. Yeah, I think so too. And it's so funny. Um, my husband is a very resourceful person as well. And I can't tell you how many times I will say, um, man, like my phone charger broke or just something of that nature. And he literally has saved one from three, five years ago that he's going (laughs) to Jerry rig to fix for me. And I'm like, all right, well maybe, you know, yes, to each their own. Like, but it, but it's funny because he and he's so accepting of me as well, who I am always recycling and always just getting rid of things and purging and um, and it's funny um, how I, I teach my daughter to sort through things. I mean, I certainly want to pass along certain values that uh, my parents were fairly minimalist as well, and they've taught me um, quite a bit. Just kind of separating yourself from from the. Um, the objects around you, you know, you're not what you have. Mm -hmm. And I loved that growing up and I really connect with that very much. So, but at the same time, you know, we, I live with someone who regularly saves the day because he's kept things in the basement that I would have thrown away years ago. So I think it's, um, I think it's seeing the beauty in the other way as well. Um, I will never be a maximalist, but I get it. I, I get that, you know, my, my grandmother lived through the great depression. And so, it, it, she saves everything and she very often gifts the most wonderful, marvelous things that are such high quality and so well made from 60 years ago. And I think there's so much beauty in that as well. So 
Yeah, I I have my bent and my family has theirs. And I think it's, we certainly have rules within that. You know, my husband knows that my deal is the kitchen counter has to be clean or I'm crazy. Like <laughs> not, not clean, just clutter free. Yeah. But I just, the kitchen counter is my thing. I mean, it's, it's just this Island and, and it, things land there. It's like Vegas. And, um, I think, yeah, I just, I, all I need is for that to be decluttered. Every other corner can be, you know, piles of laundry. That's fine. As long as things kind of have a designated rhythm, for the most part, they can keep what they want. If it's in the closet, I don't see it. Like it's, um, it's definitely a marriage of, of wants and needs and, um, respecting that each other are so different. It sounds like you guys have just found a really nice happy medium where you understand each other and, and kind of accept it to a point and then also understand and accept yourself and what you need, which is, you know, a clutter-free kitchen bench, which is completely understandable. Yes. Yes. Um, so I did want to ask you about your minimalist wardrobe experiment uh, that you yes. that was last was that last year that you did that it was twenty five items of clothing that you wore for quite a long time. What yes? What did you learn from that? Oh my goodness! And I still I still pretty much stick to that. Actually, I would say. Um, I think there are exceptions now. Um, it's funny. I, I had mentioned that I was doing it to um, my mentor is 83 years old. Her name is Nancy. She's amazing. Um, and she, uh, when I told her, you know, I was limiting my clothing to 25 items. She said, um, you own more than 25 items. <laughs> and it was such a gift of perspective um, because she had just told me about her years spent on a houseboat. She lived on a pontoon for a while. And she was like, um, she's like, honey, I own like 13 things and that's it. <laughs> um, and it was just really refreshing because I thought I was doing this fairly extremist thing. And then she, you know, totally pulled the rug out from under me with, why are you even owning more than that? But I think really the clear benefit for me was um, it did put a halt on unnecessary, but not necessarily buying, but acquiring, you mm -hmm. know, um, you know, we borrow clothes from girlfriends and to, to refresh our wardrobes. And, um, you know, I'm always feeling like, you know, when you're just having a really bad day and your pants aren't fitting and you're like, oh, I need a new dress. That's what I need. That's what I feel better. And um, I was never much of a shopper, but um, I would have no problem, you know, going into Goodwill or ordering something online um, to make me feel better. And in having those 25 standby items that I was comfortable in that um, – yeah, there were definitely better options available, but whittling it down to those things, it kind of just took the thought out of it altogether and removed myself from what I was, who I was when I was wearing something and kind of just made um, me accept who I was for regardless of what I was wearing. You know, I mean, yes, yes, I've worn the same dress every day for, you know, a long time, <laughs> um, but it, but I was... It, I was able to learn that that I was it didn't really matter um, what I was wearing and that and almost that it was harder work to be a person um, who who wasn't defined by that and that that was where the good and worthy work was. So I think I learned to learn quite a bit. Um, and it's it's funny because of my job, I feel like I'm always reviewing things and um, I have a lot of opportunities to acquire more things. And I'm constantly um, 
realizing that everything that we bring into our house or bring into our wardrobe has so much cost related to it, um, not just in the in the purchase price, but in the in the taking care of those things and the storage space and the mind space. And um, it really freed me from all of that enough to not necessarily stick with it forever. I may or I may not, but but good to realize the effect that that had on my life um, and that it didn't have to be that way. It was that way because I chose it um, and that it is a choice and that I can choose to um, not buy into the more and, and instead just you know, stick with the less. The the definite negative is when you spill like hot sauce on your only white shirt. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, I think there were some rules broken and definitely fudged, but I think, yeah, it's, um, it was a beautiful experience. It's definitely something that, um, it was not, it was not challenging. I will say that because mm-hmm. I, I saw so much more beauty than what, um, than the, than the negatives. It definitely outweighed the negative. I just like in that whole answer, you didn't sort of talk about clothing at all. You know, it was about what it taught you about yourself. And that you know, is funny. No, I think that's that's awesome. You know, and it just goes back to the awareness that we were talking about before as well. Just being, you know, being able to to pay attention, I guess, to the impact these choices are having on us. And I think from there, for me anyway, that's where the vast majority of my behavioral change has come from from understanding the impact that certain decisions and behaviors are having and it's not so much even from a desire to have a different habit but to change the impact you know and I I just think that that was really telling that that out of that you didn't have anything to say about capsule wardrobes or you know the ease of getting dressed and all of which are I'm sure you know things that were beneficial but it was more about what you learned which I just thought was really interesting. That is funny. And I always, I'm always struggling with that because I, I, I know minimalism is, is, it's a trend right now. It's easy to do. And I'm always thinking, um, is this a sustainable thing? And did I, but, but so in terms of, I mean, I feel like I, I am a, I'm not a vain person, but I certainly care about what other people think of me. So mm-hmm. it is very much like, you know, what happens when this minimalism things goes out of fashion? Um, you know, will we be able to, to, I guess, um, buck the trend and stick with it? Um, and I think I will, I really do. I think it, I think it just did teach so much about, um, me inside. And I, and I was so much more, I mean, I certainly, the decision fatigue was out the window, which was great. Um, I feel like I had I, isn't it Steve Jobs that only wears like a black turtleneck and jeans every day or yes. something? It, it was when, yeah, I feel like that's, he had his thing um, because it relieved him from decisions elsewhere. And I totally get that. Um, and I could definitely see myself doing something like that um, with, a, with a few more options. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. I think it's telling that it it's less about um, the clothing or the experiment itself. Maybe it's, the home that needs decluttered for some people, but I think it's, um, it's about the impact. You're right. It's definitely the impact. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I mean, I'm the same. I, to, to remove that, like that decision-making fatigue, I guess, of figuring out in the morning, what am I going to wear? It's really easy when you only own 20 or 30 items because everything that you own, you like, and you just put it on and you don't think about it again. Whereas I must've spent 
I think I probably wasted quite literally years of my life in my 20s just changing outfits and standing in front of a mirror. It's like what a ridiculous thing to spend years of your life doing, you know, but um, to just remove that is liberating. Yes, I totally agree. I also think I spent 20 years wasting on the treadmill, which is such a funny thing. Like, why not? Why was I not going outside and actually going from point A to point B instead of, I mean, it's such a, it's such a metaphor for what life was like for me. It's you're spinning your wheels going nowhere. And it felt like that. Like, um, yeah, I feel the same. I feel the same way about, about the fitness in the twenties. Now it's kind of like, all right, whatever. What is what is <laughs> exactly? Oh, I just, I wouldn't go back to my twenties for all the money in the world. I'm enjoying my thirties immensely. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. It's the acceptance, I think. Exactly, and I, you know, that's it. You just you you figure out, or you're closer to figuring out who you are and what's important to you. And again, going back to that caring more and caring less thing, you know, you've figured out what you care more about. And the things that, that aren't on that list, you just automatically care less about. And that in itself is a real sort of weight off, I think. Yes, yes. And don't you feel like you spend more time embracing the things that you are and kind of working with that versus trying to change the things that you're not? I feel like it's, it's yeah, it's just been such a beautiful transition for me. Um, and I always say I wish I knew this in my 20s, but I did. I just didn't – I just didn't – it. It didn't click, like I didn't care or I needed to be able to experience that decade of making the wrong decisions to now make the right ones, make the wrong for me decisions. You know, it's not like I was doing the wrong things for everybody, but, but it did take, I mean, that's what growth is, right? Like that's what aging is and wisdom is, is you just kind of change. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think you can force that, you know, you can, there are circumstances that might, might make it happen quicker for you but uh you cannot force that okay I'm the same I I wish I hadn't worried about these things in my 20s but the reality is that I didn't know what I didn't know and I wasn't in a place where I was you know fully accepting of myself either And, and that in itself is just part of growing up and you know doing adult life I guess yeah. Yeah. I, um, again, Nancy, my mentor, I keep talking about my 83 year old friend, but she, she still wears a bikini to the beach. Cause she's like, honey, my thighs will never look this good again. Like every, she realizes that every day she's aging a little bit more and a little bit more and, and her thighs aren't getting any better. And I love that because I mean, it, it is what you make of it. That that's what this is. Totally. Oh, I love Nancy. I think I'd like to meet Nancy. Yeah, you need to have Nancy on. She's amazing. <laughs> she sounds incredible. She really, really is. <laughs> but, you know, someone recently asked me, like, why do you do what you do? Why do you? Why are you living the way you want to live? And, you know, it was kind of a long-winded rambling answer because that's what I do. But at the end, I said, I want to look back when I'm 85 and go, man, that was awesome. Um, and I think so many people admire that in people who are like Nancy's age, for example, but we don't, we so often won't make the choices that actually end up there because they're uncomfortable or they're, you know, they're counter to, to what we think we should be doing. So it, I think sometimes when you, you think about life 50 years down the track, it can give you that broad 10,000 foot view of, of life. And it's, kind of easier some or not easier clearer I guess to make the decisions that will lead you there 
Do you ever think about that? You know, I mean, I know it's not a popular thing to kind of think about the end of our lives, but I, I often do. I often talk about legacy and, and what I want to leave behind and what I don't want to leave behind. And I've found that to be a really clarifying thing. Yeah, yes. I mean, I've always heard that, um, you know, in life or in parenting or if in, in anything of, of substance to work backwards mm-hmm. and um, to think about where you want to go and then figure out how to get there. Um I am see you know, and I I've tried that. I am not that way. I'm such a day to day person, and I think just because I'm so easily overwhelmed, like it is very overwhelming for me to think, um, you know, or or to even attempt to know what I would want at 85. You know, what would I want my life to have looked like at 85? Mm-hmm. I don't know because I, because I don't know what I don't know. So I'm like, well, I mean, is beauty really an acceptance? Maybe not. Maybe beauty is in fighting for change. Um, but I know today I think beauty is definitely in the acceptance. Um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a little backwards in that my husband is always super frustrated because he's like, you need a, you need a goal. You need like, you got to work towards something or you're just going to, you're just going to float along. But I think I'm kind of happy floating along too. I don't know. No, I think there's, there's nothing backwards in that. I mean, I, I love not having goals per se, you know, um, I don't often set like business goals or anything like that, you know, and I've, I, I like that, you know, I don't necessarily respond particularly well to having that looming over me and, and kind of pointing its finger at me and saying, if you don't, if you don't get here, then you're failing. Um, so I, yeah, I'd never actually thought about the two as the same thing, but I can understand how looking at things from, you know, from the end back to where you are now could look like a, a goal as well. It's, that's really interesting. It's a different take on it to the way I've seen it, but I can understand that and how it would certainly be overwhelming, particularly if you enjoy, you know, living more in like a state of flow and, and seeing what happens. Yeah, yeah. But my husband is definitely, and he's a legacy man, and he's always thinking about his goals for our daughter and for our family and, um, you know, what, what he does definitely shape his day based on what he would love to have achieved mm. at an, as an 85 year old man, which is so, I mean, it's, he makes an incredible leader for our family in that way. Um, so in, and, and yeah, I think it's a personality thing, whether you're just go with the flow or, or, um, or maybe a little more. Yeah. I think it, for me, it's an, it is such like an overwhelming idea. Like, Oh man, I have to decide today what I want to, what what I want to be proud of. <laughs> Whereas he's like, no, you get to decide today what you want to be proud of. So it's totally a small shift. Um, yeah, it's funny. We were talking before we hit record about, um, you know, our husband's kind of giving us the gift of a completely different perspective. And I think that that's, that's <laughs> true. I mean, that's a perfect example of it. Yes, yes. Now, I wanted to ask you before we we say goodbye about your book. And, I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to reading it, first of all. But how did you um, take the process of writing it, which is a, like an all-consuming, incredibly difficult, long process, how were you able to, to kind of work through that project while maintaining some kind of slowness to your daily life? And if you did, how, how did you do that? Um, that's so, yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
The funny, yes, I would say I had more nervous breakdowns writing that book than anything else. And it, and it actually, I do write about the fact that I had felt so hypocritical because, because I was, you know, um, embarking on this slow living adventure and I had never been living so fast. I mean, I just, the, the balance between, um, being the kind of mother that I wanted to be for, for my daughter and, being present and being available um, to her, but then still kind of, I, it, it was just my brain had split into two. I was distracted in both worlds. And um, that was such a hard thing for me to overcome, or I guess maybe just to adjust to, because it did then eventually, I adjusted. But um, but it's interesting. I, I reshaped my schedule quite a bit when writing that book. Um, I have two friends that are just smart uh, women. They write a book called Minimalist Parenting. Their names are Asha and Christine. And they taught me um, years ago about this like process called the golden hours where you take a look at your day and you think um, that you will, you will see, you will notice in your day, like you have this natural energy progression or regression, one of the two. And um, you have to take a look at your day and, and realize when you are that your most productive self. And, um, for me, those were mornings. Um, I am, I'm a total morning person. I'm very productive in the morning. And by the end of the night, I can't even put sentences together, which is maybe why I'm rambling this evening. But, um, (laughs) but, um, you know, mornings were, were always, you know, my time as a kid and, and when I got older, but, um, when I became a mom, I was with my daughter in the mornings and they kind of encouraged me to restructure my day a little if I could and to, if I needed to wake up earlier, I would do that. Um, so instead of um, using those productivity hours on things like going to you know music class or the library or things that I could be doing in the afternoon or the evening when I was more not necessarily in a work state of mind, um, and and that shift and and that was everything for me. So so I started waking up at four thirty in the morning. And, um, I would shower, I would do a quick meditation. I would leave and go to the local coffee shop. I'm also a huge compartmentalizer in terms of like work and home. And so I would write from the coffee shop for three, four hours. I would go take a yoga break and then, um, and then I would be home and be a mom. So, I mean, I got to come home at, you know, 10, 11 in the morning and still have a full day, which was great. Um, the other thing that the reason that was really beneficial in terms of writing first thing in the morning um, was there wasn't anybody else in my head at that point. I mm. found that when I would try to write at the end of the night when I had free time after I put uh, my daughter down and everything is that I was recounting the day and writing almost from a defensive place. Like, here's what I did wrong. Um, and it and it didn't make for anything inspiration. Nobody needs to read, you know, all the things that you're doing wrong. Nobody <laughs> wants to read that. So, um, so by writing first thing in the morning, by having a clean slate and by not having anybody else's voice in my head in terms of reading or, or um, just various conversations that were running through my head, that was really very, um, on a logistical level, beneficial for me. Um, but I would say definitely the hardest part um, of the book process, schedule aside and all of that, was just um, realizing that the book I thought I was writing was not the book that I wrote. And, um, 
And then in kind of coming to this shift and this climax in my own life, um, not even on paper and, and not even realizing that I was living through what I was, what I was supposed to be writing about. Um, but that, that it is not, it's not about the pace and it's not about manipulating or changing your life. Um, in every area of it, it's about realizing that circumstance doesn't necessarily define who you are and doesn't need to. Mm. And that was the hardest part because, I mean, even I remember emailing my editor and saying, you know what? I thought this book was about, you know, how to live a slower life, but but I'm, I'm living really fast right now and I'm not seeing that. So I think maybe it's even how to accept when your life isn't slow or um, when your life isn't what you want and accepting that, that wide margin between who you are and who you actually want to be. And we fill that space with so many other things. And I had been filling that space with so many other things because I felt hopelessly wrecked. I felt I've never read a book before. I've never written a book before. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I felt like so insecure in that way. And so I did. I found myself filling my schedule and ordering more takeout and and buying clothes I didn't need and, and filling my house with useless things. And I was living what I knew what I shouldn't be living. And mm. so in a way, it was really great fodder for the book, but um, <laughs> it, was a, it was a very hard thing for me to to um, kind of reconcile in my mind. Yeah, yeah. And, and eventually it got to this really great place where I realized, okay, this is this is about acceptance. It's not about this this filling of the void. Mm. I think. I mean, I think that's what's going to prove so uh, you know relatable to so many people because it's like that is the reality of many people's lives. And we can we can change change our mindset. And we can shift towards living you know in accordance with our priorities and things like that. But the reality is, life still can get very very busy and I think that that's something that people are going to really love when they read the book because you know you're someone who has embraced slow and you still struggle with what that means on a day-to-day basis and how that looks you know in your home and in your work life and as a parent and I think that those kind of conversations are really important because otherwise we spend so much time beating ourselves up about getting it right or getting it wrong you know and and what that's supposed to look like so yeah I'm really really excited to to read it uh, it's called chasing slow and which is a great title thank you thank you and people can pre-order that on amazon at the moment but i will leave a link to the show notes for all of that um thank and, you erin thank you so much for talking with me it was it's been like a delight oh my gosh yes i feel like i could talk to you for hours thank yeah. you for um your, your questions were so thought-provoking. I feel like I'm going to have so much to think about before I go to bed. <laughs> I hope it doesn't keep you awake. <laughs> no, it won't. It won't. <laughs> oh, thank you again. Yes. Thank you so much, Brooke. And thank you, guys. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening. Jack Rabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.